thanks for tuning in this week to Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church plant located in the Pasadena area. It is our mission to save the lost, to equip the saved, to serve both the lost and the saved, and finally to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting from the beginning of a book and working our way through all the way till the end. It is our prayer that you would grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ through his word. Well, the reason that Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians was in response to two different things. If you remember when we started this letter, we looked at this. The, the first was in a response to uh, this family that Paul calls Chloe's household. They shared with him some issues, some problems that were taking place in Corinth. And so Paul uh, is writing to address the problems that Chloe's household had shared with him. In the first six chapters, we see those things that they shared with him, divisions, church discipline, lawsuits, and sexual immorality. Well, now as we come here to chapter 7, we have the the second reason that Paul wrote this letter, and that was because the Corinthians had actually written to him, and they asked him specific questions, uh, and now he is responding to those questions. He is answering those questions. Chapter 7 starts by saying, now concerning the things you wrote to me. Uh, So he's saying, hey, you guys wrote to me concerning those things that you wrote and the questions that you asked. Now for the rest of of this book, uh, from chapter 7 to chapter 16, Paul is going to be addressing these questions and answering these questions that the Corinthians had asked of him, Uh, so questions that deal uh, with Christian liberties, with relationships, with headship, communion, spiritual gifts, resurrection, and giving. So chapter 7 starts this new section, and the the first group of questions that the Corinthians were asking were centered on relational issues. And in Corinth, as we noted last week, there were uh, some big issues with sexual immorality. Uh, And one of the questions that they addressed to Paul were questions uh, surrounding this issue of sexual relationships. And so uh, that's one of the things that Paul's going to be answering in chapter 7. But there was also some problems because of sexual immorality and other things uh, that there was uh, believers getting divorced. And so they had questions about divorce and can you do it and why if you can. And uh, so they had questions about that. And so uh, Paul is going to answer those questions as well. And and they also had some questions about the relationship of of being single. Uh, And so Paul is going to uh, address single life and um, give some insights into that as well. And so Here in chapter 7, we have three main questions concerning different relational issues. First, Paul answers questions concerning sexual relationships for those who are single and for those who are married. Uh, Second, he answers questions concerning divorce and remarriage for those who uh, are married or for those who have been divorced. And third, he answers a question concerning singleness for those who are unmarried and those who are widows. This morning, we're going to look at these first two questions that Paul addresses, uh, this question about sexual relationships and also about divorce and remarriage. And then next week, we're going to be focusing on what he shares with us about singleness. Now, because Paul is answering specific questions about sexual relationships, divorce, remarriage, and singleness, he's not giving us some exhaustive study uh, or teaching on each one of these things. Uh, So don't expect an exhaustive teaching on sexual relationships, on divorce, on remarriage, on singleness. He's answering specific questions, and so in those answers, he's only dealing with the things that have been asked of him. And so as we go through this study uh, this morning, we're not going to be dealing with everything the Bible has 
has to say about sexual relationships. We're not going to be dealing with everything the Bible has to say about divorce or remarriage. Uh, We're going to be focusing on the answers that Paul gives to the questions that were asked of him by the Corinthians. So let's start by looking at this first issue that Paul deals with, this issue of sexual relationships uh, and what he has to say in verse chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. It says this, Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, It is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. So Paul starts off addressing this question that the Corinthians had concerning sexual relationships by saying, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Now, this word touch here is used in a sense of having a sexual relationship. It was very common Jewish euphemism uh, to use this term touch for sexual relationships. We see that through the Old Testament. Uh, we see that uh, connection there. And so basically Paul is saying it's good for a man not to have sex with a woman. But in verse 2, he gives us the context of what he means by that. He says, nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. And so verse 2 reveals that when Paul says it's good for a man not to touch a woman, he's speaking specifically to people who are single. Uh, And so if you're single, Paul is ultimately saying then you should not have sex. Uh, As we looked at last week, there's only one place where God has designed uh, for a sexual relationship to happen, and that is in a marriage relationship. And so uh, anything outside of a marriage relationship where sex happens is sexual morality. It's a sin. uh, And so that shouldn't take place. And so Paul says, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. What Paul is saying is in light of this sexual immorality, in light of this danger, that this temptation that comes, uh, it's good to get married. It's good to have a spouse so that you can have a sexual relationship in a godly way because that's the only godly way that can happen. So Paul wants to make it clear, if you're single, you need to abstain from having sex, but he also recognizes God has given us this desire for sex, and so the only way that you can fulfill that desire is in a marriage relationship. So he says, instead of indulging in a sexual immorality like a lot of the Corinthians were doing, you should you'd be better off just to get married. Now, I want you to understand, Paul is not saying the only reason to get married is to have sex. Um, You know, some people have concluded that, but once again, remember, he's just answering specific questions that have been addressed to him. He's not going on this whole big topic of marriage or what are all the reasons for getting married. He's just dealing with a specific answer about this sexual immorality that was taking place. And so, you know, if he was going to get into a bunch of different reasons for marriage, he wouldn't just deal with this one about purity, he would also deal with procreation, he would deal with pleasure, he would deal with partnership, he would deal with the picture that we are of Jesus and the church. I mean, there's plenty of things in scripture that deal with reasons for marriage that Paul is not addressing, so don't conclude, oh, Paul just thinks the only reason for marriage is sex. No, he's just answering a specific question, and he gives one reason for marriage, which is purity. Marriage helps protect you from sexual immorality because it gives you an outlet for sex in the way in which God has designed it within marriage. So in answering the Corinthians question, Paul stresses the reality of sexual temptation when you're single, and he reveals there's only one outlet to that, which is marriage. 
But now Paul's going to bring up a practical point, and it's this. Marriage is only helpful with that sexual desire if the married couple actually has sex. Notice what he says in verses 3 through 6. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due to her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except for consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But I say this as a concession, not as a command. Now, here's a section of scripture that you don't often uh, hear taught by pastors. It's not like, all right, I'm going to do a topical teaching. Let me come here. But you know what? This is a very important thing, especially for those who are married, to realize, hey, the Bible actually deals with this and addresses this, and it's an important issue to understand. Marriage only helps deal with sexual desires if the married couple is actually having sex. And so Paul says, let the husband render to his wife the affection due to her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. Paul says something very important here for us, especially married couples, to understand. Every wife and every husband has affection that is due to them. Now, Paul uses this Greek word translated due, which means to owe something, to be in debt, to give what is due. So Paul is saying, if you're a husband, you owe your wife affection. You are having to give affection. It's due to her. If you're a wife, you owe your husband affection. You have a debt of affection that is due to him. And that affection is not based on how pretty they are. That affection is not based on how handsome they are. That affection is not based on how loving they are. That affection is not based on how submissive they are or respectful they are. It's based on the fact that it's due to them. They earn it or they, they deserve it because it's, it's due. It's something that God commands. Notice that Paul uses the word affection instead of using the word sex. Now, sex is a part of an affectionate relationship. It's one outlet to it, but it's not the only part Tenderness, fondness, warmth, friendliness, care, love, those are all important aspects of affection that Paul is revealing is due to your spouse. So if a husband only has sexual relationships with his wife but doesn't show her the other aspects of affection, guess what? He has not given her the affection that is due to her. And I think, husbands, this is very, something very important for us to understand because we're much more visually stimulated. Our wives are much more emotionally stimulated. And so we need to make sure that we're giving our wives not just sex, but affection and tenderness and warmth and friendliness and care and love. We need to do this with the words that we speak and the actions that we have towards them. Paul is strongly putting forth the idea that there is mutual sexual responsibility in marriage. The husband has obligations towards his wife, and the wife has obligations towards her husband. In fact, these obligations are so strong that notice what Paul says in verse 4. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. The Bible tells us something very important. When you get married, you become one flesh. And that one flesh is that act of being one in a sexual way. But guess what? Now your body is no longer just your own. You share it with 
your spouse. So the authority over your body is no longer just yours. Now there is an authority that someone else has within that one relationship that you guys share together. And this is something very important to understand. You don't have complete authority over your body anymore once you get married. Now your husband or your wife also has authority over that. And the mindset is you don't have authority to deprive them of your body. And this is what Paul goes on to say. He makes the point very clear uh, in verses 5 and 6. He says, Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But I say this as a concession, not a command. Paul is saying you should never deprive your spouse of affection or of sex, except for a short time to dedicate yourself to prayer and fasting. But notice he goes on to say, this is a concession, not a command. God's not commanding you to ever stop having sex. He says, it's, it's not even recommended. It's saying there's a concession. If you have a spiritual reason like fasting and praying and saying, you know what, for a brief time, we're going to stop for this reason, then okay, then that's acceptable. But ultimately, that's not commanded. That's just a concession. But once you're done praying and fasting, you need to come together again and give each other Um, that affection, that sexual relationship. And notice the reason why, and this is so important. Paul says, so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. What Paul shares is so important to understand why we shouldn't deprive our spouse of affection and a sexual relationship. Because when you deprive your spouse from those things, Satan is there to tempt your spouse to go find it somewhere else. If you're depriving your spouse of it, Satan will be there to say, you know what? You're not getting it here. Why don't you go get it somewhere else? Satan's strategy when it comes to sex is to do everything he can to encourage sex outside of marriage and to do everything he can to discourage sex within marriage. And they go hand in hand. If he's successful with discouraging sex within marriage, he'll be a lot more successful with encouraging someone to look elsewhere because they're not getting it within the relationship that they should be getting it in. So we need to make sure that we're not depriving our spouse of affection and sex because when we do that, we're putting them in a tempting situation. When you deprive your spouse of affection and sex, you make them ultimately more vulnerable to Satan's attacks in that specific area. And so what Paul is saying here is, hey, give your spouse what they need in an affection standpoint and also in a sexual standpoint to protect them from the attacks that Satan would bring against them. And I think this is something that's very practical and very important to understand, you know, within counseling, different things, you know, sadly, I've come to the recognition that there are wives who punish their husbands or try to manipulate their husbands by using sex. They recognize their husbands want that and need that, and they realize, oh, so, oh, you want this? Well, then I'm not going to give you sex unless you do this, or I'm not going to give you sex unless you do that, and they kind of use that to get what they want, and they'll deprive their husband if they don't get what they want. And what you need to understand is you're putting your husband in a very tempting place. If he's not getting what he needs in the marriage relationship, you're tempting him to look elsewhere. Satan will then seek to tempt him in that way. I have known of several men who have either gotten involved with 
pornography or relationships with other women. And they said that the start of that was because they weren't having the relationship that they needed within their marriage. Now, they're not justified in going out and sinning in that way. I'm not saying that at all. It's definitely a sin for them to do it. But I would say for those wives who are in that relationship, they're also in sin because they're not following what God's saying here. And they put their husbands in tempting positions, which hopefully you don't want to do. Now, you don't hear too often of husbands withholding sex from their wives, but what they do often withhold is affection. Oh, yes, you know, let's, let's go have sex, but, you know, I'm not going to give you the affection due to you. I just want, you know, the physical relationship. And so husbands are often very guilty of not giving the affection, the love, the romance, the care that their wives need. And so what happens when another man comes along and start showing that affection that you're not. I've known of women who have committed affairs. Why? Not because there wasn't sex in the relationship, but because there wasn't affection in the relationship. And there was someone else who was willing to show affection and give them flowers and romance them and give them attention and time. Something that they hadn't had since they were being courted and dating before marriage. Something that they lost in their marriage. And they were tempted by it and they went into an affair because of it. Now, once again, that woman's not justified in doing that. She's in sin but her husband had put her in a tempting position because he did not fulfill what this passage is talking about of giving her the affection that is due to her. Satan wants to destroy marriages. And this is one of the areas where he's very successful. And so if you want to protect your marriage, this is one way to do it. Make sure you're giving to your spouse the affection and the sexual relationship that they need so they're not tempted to look outside of the marriage in order for that to happen. Now, Paul continues to answer this question about sexual relationships by sharing something important to understand about singleness and about marriage. Notice what he says in verses 7 through 9. For I wish that all men were even as I myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Here Paul reveals something interesting about his own status. Uh, He is an unmarried man. He is a single man. Uh, He says, to the unmarried and to the widows, it's good for them to remain even as I am. So he's saying, hey, if you're unmarried, if you're a widow, it's good for you to be like me, single, stay that way. So he's kind of encouraging that. So we recognize that as Paul is writing this, he's single, but most scholars believe that at some point in time in his life, he was married. Uh, In Acts chapter 26, we're told that Paul was a a member of the Sanhedrin. In order to be a member of the Sanhedrin, it was required that you were married. So uh, Paul, it seems very clear that he was married at some point in time, which brings the question of, well... Where's his wife? What happened to her? Well, the Bible doesn't say, so it's just speculation as to what took place, whether she died, whether she abandoned him because he became a Christian. Uh, We don't know. But we do know now at this point in time in his life, he's single, which is interesting because he's also sharing about singleness and marriage, and he experienced both of those things. But he says, I wish that all men were even as I myself. Paul's saying, I wish everyone was single like me because he recognizes the benefits of being single, which he's going to share at the end of this chapter uh, when he answers the questions about singleness, which we'll look at next week. But he also says, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. 
When Paul says each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that manner, he's specifically talking about a gift of singleness and a gift of marriage. There are those who have a gift of singleness and there are those who have a gift of marriage. But an important thing to note is both being single and married are gifts from God. And the reason that is important to note is because many people find themselves in the trap of the grass is greener on the other side. Those who are single are often, oh, I just wish I was married. It'd be so much better if I was married. I just can't wait till I'm married. And those who are married are often, oh, I wish I was single again. It'd be so much better if I was single again. And there's this belief that, oh, it would be so much better if I was in that other state. The grass is greener on the other side mindset. And we forget it's a gift. That single state is a gift from God. That married state is a gift from God. And God wants us to use that gift to glorify him, to see that as a gift, to see that stage of your life. It might not be uh, forever, uh, but that stage of your life is a gift from God, and we need to glorify him in it. Paul goes on to say in verses 8 and 9, I say to the unmarried and to the widow, it is good for them to remain even as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So Paul recommends if you're unmarried, you're single, or, or you're a widow, you used to be married and your spouse died, and now you're single again, I encourage you to stay that way. Now, Paul's going to give, once again, reasons at the end of the chapter of why he thinks that's important, especially in the time in which they lived, but he brings out an important thing to understand. It's a recommendation. He says it's good. He doesn't say it's necessary, it's, you know, you have to do it. He just feels like this is a good thing for you to do, but he realizes not everyone is gifted like he was to stay single for the rest of his life. And so he says, you know what, it's good if you can do that, but, you know, some people, they've been given this gift to be married, and, you know, they have this desire for that, and it's okay to indulge and give into that and move forward with the marriage relationship. There's nothing wrong with that. Paul preferred the unmarried state for himself. But as we go through this chapter, he's wanting to make it very clear that it's not more spiritual to be unmarried and it's not more spiritual to be married. That, you know, both of them are gifts from God. Both of those are, are states of life where you want to give glory to God. And there's positives in each one. Uh, and you should just live for the Lord in whatever state you're in. But he also realizes that, hey, you know what? There's a practical reason to get married. If you realize I'm not gifted to be single for life. Okay, well, I'm struggling now because I have this desire for sex that God has given me, and I know there's only one godly outlet for that, which is marriage. And so he says, hey, it's better to get married than to burn with passion. Now, once again, he's not saying this is the only reason for marriage, but he's saying because of this issue, because we're dealing with questions about sexual morality within singleness and marriage, hey, it's better to stay, get married than to be in the single state where you're just burning with passion and you're struggling and most likely falling into sexual temptation. So marriage helps protect you from sexual immorality by meeting your need for sex in a godly way. So in the first nine verses, Paul is addressing one of these questions, a questions that had to do with sexual relationships as a single person and also as a married couple. To the single people, it's real clear. Don't have sex. You should abstain from sex until you're married. There's only one uh, biblical reason to have sex, and that is within the marriage relationship. And because of sexual temptation, because there's that struggle, he says, well, one way to protect yourself from that is ultimately to get married, but that's definitely not the only reason you want to get married. If that's the only reason you want to get married, then you've missed the point of marriage. That's just one small reason that Paul is addressing. 
To married people, he says, don't withhold affection and sex from your spouse. You don't have authority over your own body anymore. Your spouse does as well. Uh, And so don't withhold that from them because when you do, you put them in a tempting situation to look elsewhere for that. So now he's dealt with this first question, and now he's going to move on to another question that the Corinthians were asking. And so in verses 10 through 16, the next thing that they were asking had to do with a prominent issue that they dealt with, which is a prominent issue uh, in the world today, and it's the issue of divorce and remarriage. And so he's going to be answering specific questions that they asked him about that. Now, once again, I want to clarify that Paul is answering these specific questions. So he's not giving a full teaching, not giving every instance of you know, stuff on divorce or remarriage. He's just giving you know, answers to questions that he was asked. And so he's going to be addressing two different types of marriages. First, he's going to address marriages between two Christians which is hopefully you know, what we want. We want to have marriages between two Christians, but that's not always the case. He's also going to address marriages between a Christian and a non-Christian, uh, and he's going to be sharing about both of those in regard to divorce. So let's start with the first thing he shares, which is what he has to say about divorce when there are two believing believers, two Christians. Verse 10 and 11 says this. Now to the married I command, yet not I but the Lord, a wife is not to depart from her husband, but even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and a husband is not to divorce his wife. So Paul starts off saying, now to the married I command, yet not I but the Lord. Now Paul is saying that what he's about to say about marriage between two Christians, it's not a new command. I command, well, actually, yet not I, but the Lord, speaking of Jesus. It's not a new command because Jesus has already taught on this. So he's just saying, hey, Jesus has already given this command, so it's not really something that I'm giving that's new. I'm just repeating something that Jesus has already said. Well, what does he say? A wife is not to depart from her husband, but even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and a husband is not to divorce his wife. So in answering the Corinthians' question about divorce, Paul says, all right, Between two Christians, the answer is you shouldn't get divorced. Malachi says God hates divorce. God does not want that to be the way in which a marriage ends. At the same time, well, this is basically the same thing that Jesus shares as well. The Pharisees come to Jesus and they ask him a a question about divorce in Matthew chapter 19. And Jesus' response is this. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce to put her away? Jesus said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced, commits adultery. When the Pharisees asked Jesus, is it okay to get divorced? His answer is clear. No, it's not okay. What God has joined together, let not man separate. Now, Jesus does give one uh, reason for divorce to happen. He says, except for sexual immorality. 
Jesus is saying, you know what, there is a reason that you can get divorced and then get remarried, and God sees that as a legitimate reason to get divorced, and that is because of sexual immorality within the marriage. Basically, your spouse has committed adultery on you, and therefore you have a reason biblically to divorce that person and then to remarry. Now, I want you to notice something important that Paul says, though, because he's basically saying the same thing that Jesus is saying. A wife is not to depart from her husband, but even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and a husband is not to divorce his wife. You know, the goal of all relational conflict, but especially relational conflict within marriage, is one of reconciliation. God is a God of reconciliation. That's ultimately God's desire. That's ultimately God's heart. The reality is two sinful people get married. And so some people think, oh, you know, marriage is going to be so wonderful and great, we're never going to have any problems. Well, that's never true because two sinful people come together. And guess what? When you get two sinful people together, you're going to have sin. You're going to have issues. You're going to have problems. Every marriage has problems. The question is, what are we going to do about that? God's heart is that you would always seek forgiveness, repentance, reconciliation. Whatever problems come your way, that the goal wouldn't be, let's get away from this, let's get out of this, let's you know, get away from each other and divorce. That it would always be, let's try to work through these issues. Now, God recognizes there are issues that are so severe, like adultery, that it could be impossible to work through, so you're free to, to leave in that situation. But ultimately, the heart of God is one of reconciliation. I think too many Christian couples are looking for every way to get out of their relationship instead of looking for every way to stay in. You know, a lot of Christian couples or, you know, a a certain person will come and, can you give me every reason in Scripture of why someone can get a divorce? And and it's the wrong question, ultimately, because it's like, I want to find every reason I can to get out of this relationship instead of really saying, you know what, I want to do everything I can to make it work. I want to do everything I can to stay. I want to do everything I can to reconcile and deal with the issues that we're struggling with. That is what God ultimately wants of us. And you know what? If someone says to you, and I've had people say to me, and they try to bring God into the equation and say, you know, God just doesn't want me married to this person anymore. Or you know what? God's brought someone else into my life. And so he's done it. I'm free to to get out of this relationship because it's totally him who's done this. That's not true. God does not uh, do that. He does not bring people in your life so that you can divorce the one you have. That is not something that doesn't recognize divorce for those reasons. So if someone's claiming that God is the one giving them the authority in that, that's not what the Word of God teaches. Paul says, A wife is not to depart her husband, but even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. The reality is people get divorced. For unbiblical reasons, people get separated for unbiblical reasons. And Paul says, okay, if that happens, fair enough, it does a lot. You have two options. Stay single or reconcile with the person that is now your ex. Those are your options. You can stay single, or you can try to reconcile with the person that you decided to separate from or divorce. So the first group are two Christians. So he says, hey, don't get divorced. That's not God's heart. That's not what God wants. He wants you to do everything you can to reconcile the marriage. If it does take place, well, then you can stay single, or you can try to work through that. And there's one reason that you can get out of that marriage, and that is if sexual morality, adultery has transpired. Well, now he's going to address another issue. What about divorce between a Christian and a non-Christian? He starts with two Christians, and now he's going to address this. Notice what he says in verse 12 through 16. 
But to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And if a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But now they are holy. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. Her brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? Paul starts off saying, but to the rest. This shows, or I'm transitioning. I was just speaking to Christian, married to Christian, and now I'm going to deal with the next group, which is a Christian who is married to a non-Christian. And he goes to say, if any brother who has a wife who does not believe and the woman who has a husband does not believe. So he's saying, hey, for those who are believing husbands who have unbelieving wives or those who are believing wives who have unbelieving husbands, this is what I want you to know. But notice he says, but to the rest, I not the Lord say. Now, people have thought, is Paul not inspired here? Is Paul just giving his own opinion here? Because that would be great, because then we don't have to listen to him. No, that's not what's going on at all. Let me clarify that. Remember in verse 10, Paul said, Now to the married, I command, yet not I, but the Lord. He's saying, ultimately, I'm not giving a new command, because Jesus has already taught on this, and so I'm just repeating what Jesus said. Here he's saying, well, ultimately, Jesus hasn't taught on this. Jesus didn't address Christian, non-Christian. Jesus didn't address a lot of issues in Scripture, so don't you know, be surprised by that. So he's saying, hey, I'm addressing something that Jesus didn't teach on, uh, so Jesus didn't teach on it, but since I am the Spirit-filled apostle who's writing this letter, I'm going to write it. So it is still God-inspired words. It is not just the opinion of Paul. So the Corinthians want to know, okay, well, what do you do if you're married and you're a Christian and they're not? You know, and that happens. You know, we don't follow, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And so there are times when Christians marry uh, non-Christians. And so they want to know, what should we do? Should we get a divorce? Should we get out of this relationship? But what happens if you both are uh, non-Christians and then one gets saved? And so now you have a Christian with a non-Christian. And once again, you know, what should we do when that happens? Well, Paul is going to address that. If any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And if a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if, she, if he is willing to live with her, let him not divorce him. So Paul's answer is, if your unbelieving spouse is still willing to be married with you, then don't get a divorce. Okay? Now, marriage between two believers is difficult. Marriage between a believer and unbeliever is way more difficult. And so you can see why people would be like, you know, I just want to get out of this relationship, but it's so hard. Is there a reason for it? And Paul's saying, if they're willing to stay, then you should stay in that relationship, in that marriage. But he gives a very important reason why. Notice what he tells us in verse 16. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? And how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? You know, one of the biggest and best reasons why a Christian should stay married to a non-Christian is because of the opportunity that you have to reach them for Jesus. How do you know that in this relationship that you have, this intimate relationship between you and your unbelieving spouse, that God won't use that to help you reach them with the gospel? I know it's hard. I know you have this desire to get out of it, but realize there's something bigger and more important. You could reach them for Jesus. Stick with it. Now, this doesn't just mean, you know what, you just need to share the gospel with them every single day. This is also an action. Notice what 
Peter tells to wives. It's very interesting in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. He's speaking to husbands, wives who have husbands who don't believe. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not believe the word, they may without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Peter is saying, you know what, you wives who have unbelieving husbands, you can win them to the Lord without a word. You don't have to keep preaching the gospel and hammering it down their throat. You know what, it's your actions that's going to really impact him. And I think for you know, people who are married to unbelievers, this is something that's so important. The best way that you will impact them is not that every single day you share the gospel with them. You want to share it with them. You want to make sure they know it. But once they do, you want your actions to speak louder than words. You want your actions to show what Jesus Christ can do to change a life. And hopefully that will impact them to the point that they say, I want what you have. I want Jesus. And so Paul's saying, this is a great reason to stay in it. Um, but if your non-Christian spouse doesn't want to be married to you anymore, you guys were both heathens, you get married, your life starts to change, and they say, I don't want to be with you anymore. Paul says, if they don't want it, they don't want that relationship anymore, then you are free to get divorced. That's what he says in verse 15. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. Now, this divorce should not be initiated or sought by the believer. This is sought by the unbeliever. So if the unbeliever doesn't want to be in a relationship with you anymore, you're free to get out of it. But within the context, also understand, if the unbeliever doesn't want to be in a relationship with you anymore because you've become a Christian. And this is so key. You know, you now have changed. Your life has changed. You're following Christ. They don't like that. You used to party with them. You used to do all these sinful things with them. That's what they loved about you. That's what they were connected with. And now you've changed and you're following Jesus and your life's different. And because you're following Jesus, they don't want you anymore. Paul says you're free to divorce. What he's not saying is if you're a total sinful jerk to them and they don't want you anymore, that's not reason for divorce. Because remember, the heart is, I want to reach them for Christ. I want to live for Jesus. I want to be godly in front of them so hopefully they'll get saved. I know, honestly, people who have said, well, great, I read this. I'm going to be the biggest jerk I can to my spouse so that they'll want to divorce me so I can get out of this relationship. And they've totally missed the point. That is not what this is saying. It's ultimately only if they don't want you anymore because of your Christian life. That Paul's saying, if they want to get out, you're not bound to it anymore. If they don't want to be with you anymore and they want to divorce, then it's okay. And God sees that as a legitimate reason also to remarry after that. But I think the biggest key that I don't want you to miss is our goal should always be reconciliation. So Paul's saying, hey, if you're married to an unbeliever... You have two options to get out, ultimately. Adultery is still an option uh, because that's not something that you're bound to stay in. But also, if they don't want you anymore because you're a Christian, then you can get a divorce in that regard as well. But I think even if those things happen, that shouldn't be the first thing we jump to. We're not looking for, you know, I'm waiting for an opportunity to get out of this relationship. It always should be, I want to reconcile. I want to bring forgiveness. God realizes there's such betrayal of trust in adultery that it might never be possible for you to ultimately be back in that relationship. So he says, because of that, I realize that you have a way out. But even in that, I believe the heart of God is not say, uh, you should take the way out. It's just, it's there for you. I think it's hard to still 
I, I want you to first try to forgive. I want you to first try to, you know, reconcile. I know a married couple where the husband cheated on his wife and he was truly repentant and she forgave him and the Lord restored that marriage and it's a very strong, great, godly marriage today. And it could have ended biblically, but they decided to work on it. But I'm not saying you have to do that. The Bible's clear that, hey, if you don't feel like you can, you're allowed to get out. But I think the heart is always, let's do all we can to make the marriage work not look for as many reasons as we can to get out of it. You know, the reality is there are a lot of Christians who get divorced for unbiblical reasons. And we need to understand, and I think the church has done a really poor job with two groups, divorcees and homosexuals. Oh, this is the worst sin ever, the unpardonable sin. I can't believe they've done that. And we just kind of ostracize them oftentimes, and we treat them in a way that, well, what about everybody else who sins in other ways? Why don't we do that with them too if we're going to be consistent? We shouldn't do it to anybody, but, you know, we fail a lot. You know what? Divorce is not an unpardonable sin. God loves those people. He forgives those people. And as a body of believers, we should as well. You know, if that takes place, hey, we're there to love them. We're there to forgive them. You know, if someone's asking for a counsel and saying, I want to get out of my marriage, you know, you should bring them to scripture and share with them what God says about divorce. But, you know, when someone has done that, you know, it's something that God can forgive, something that God does forgive, someone that people that God loves. Uh, and I think we just need to do a lot better job in how we deal with people who have gone through this and realizing, you know, they're in a horrible situation. I mean, obviously, you don't want to get out of a relationship unless it's bad. So there's, there's all sorts of issues that happen. And, you know, I think we just need to be those who recognize, you know what? God loves them. God forgives them. Uh, and as a body of believers, we need to do the same. But we do need to recognize what the scriptures teach because our culture is very different. Our culture's mindset on this, you know, we start relationships in our culture with, hey, you know what? If it works, great. If not, we're out of here. You know, we don't start with this covenant of this is for life. It's just kind of, hey, you know what? Hey, if it's good for a year, fine. Two years, fine. You know, but whenever it gets bad, we're both out of this relationship, which is completely unbiblical approach. So we need to understand what God's heart is. Um, but, you know, we also need to recognize, hey, we all fail. You know, whether it's in marriage, whether it's in other areas, and God is there to forgive the sin of all of us, uh, which is encouraging, uh, hopefully, for all of us as well. So Paul here in these first verses answers two main questions. The first question dealing with sexual relationships, and he says to single people, in regard to sexual relationship, it's great to be single, but make sure you stay sexually pure. Understand there is sexual immorality, there is temptation, and so the only way to fulfill that desire with is in you is in a marriage relationship. So you might want to start pursuing that. To married people, Paul says, don't withhold affection and sex from your spouse. You don't have authority over your own body anymore. You and your spouse do. And so don't withhold affection or sex because when you do, you put your spouse in a tempting situation where they're going to seek to look for that somewhere else. The second question that Paul answers has to do with divorce and remarriage. If your spouse and you are both Christians, God's desire is that your marriage would stay together till death do you part. He does not want divorce to transpire. He does give a reason for that. If you want to get out, it's because of sexual immorality, uh, adultery. That is a biblical reason to leave the marriage. But even in that regard, as I mentioned, I think the heart of God is to first try to work through if you can. Uh, if you're a Christian and your spouse is a non-Christian, they're willing to stay with you. They're willing to be married with you. Stay together. 
and seek to reach them for Christ. Seek to be that example for them. But if because you become a believer in Jesus, they don't want to be married to you anymore, you're free to end that relationship, to get a divorce, and to remarry as well. But if you separate or divorce your spouse for any other reason, you're left with two choices. You can stay single, or you can reconcile with the person that is now your ex. For those of us who have not been divorced, as I mentioned, we just need to love those who have. We need to help them. We need to encourage them. We need to recognize God is there to forgive, and so should we, uh, and just do a lot better job in that. You know, marriage is hard. The enemy is always attacking marriages, and what I want to do this week and then what I want to do next week as we look at singleness, I want to take some time as we close the service this morning to pray for marriages in our church. And next week I want to take some time to pray for those who are single in our church because Paul is addressing both of these things, but realizing Satan wants to destroy marriage. It's hard. We have a lot of attacks. This is just one area of attack when it comes to sexual things. There's many more. And so let's just take some time uh, to lift up the marriages, ask the Lord to protect our marriages, help them to thrive for him and bring him glory, uh, and we'll just close doing that. So if you want to pray, I encourage you to, uh, and I will close us in prayer. Thanks for tuning in this week to Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church plant located in the Pasadena area. It is our mission to save the lost, to equip the saved, to serve both the lost and the saved, and finally to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting from the beginning of a book and working our way through all the way till the end. It is our prayer that you would grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ through his word. 